Have you ever wished you had pushed back against the status quo? Do you wish there was more collaboration in the field? During today's meal, I speak with an SLP BCBA about collaborating, Gestalt language processing, self-care, and our mutual love of iced coffee year-round, which reminds me of today's behavior bite. My husband and I truly love a good afternoon coffee. We were so happy when we went to Korea because coffee plays a rather large role in the Korean lifestyle. Grabbing a coffee during lunch hour has become part of the daily routine, and going to a cafe is not only to get drinks, but to also enjoy moments of rest and chatting with friends. My husband's aunt introduced us to peach iced tea with a shot of espresso. Highly recommend. Welcome to Behavior Bites with Rosie Eats, where we share a virtual meal with behavior analysts, psychologists, educators, and other helping professionals. Building a community can be hard when you're always pouring into others. So pull up a chair, grab your favorite food, and let's dig in. Hello, hello, I'm your host, Rosie, and I'm so excited to introduce today's guest. I honestly cannot remember what started our friendship on Instagram, but I remember this person was so positive and encouraging. I even remember when I got COVID, she was sending me gifts to make me feel better. As our friendship developed, I learned more about Gestalt language processing, and we bonded over ND-affirming care. Today's dinner guest is Carly Berezne. Hi, Carly. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Yes, thank you for coming. I'm excited to sit down and have a meal with you. Are you hungry? Always. I see our amuse-bouche coming out. So today's chef's whim. So this is coming from a mistake I made where I accidentally poured my espresso shot in my orange juice because I didn't get a ton of sleep. I did find out that it is a viral drink because I drank it. I refused to like throw it away because I buy expensive orange juice and there was like an adaptogen blend in it too that's also expensive. So I'm like, I'm just going to drink it. So with that happening, I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite drink? So I will drink iced coffee all year round. So it's literally like 10 degrees here, like feels like 10 degrees. And I'm drinking iced coffee like out in the cold. Girl, you're talking to someone that lives in New England. Like that's status quo. We all wear, we all drink iced coffee year round. I will drink hot coffee if like, if there is no other way, like if I'm just at like a brunch or something or some event that only has hot coffee, but iced coffee is far superior to hot coffee. Oh, I agree. And I've, I've been to other countries and it's not very common, mm. like in say like Costa Rica to drink iced coffee. Right. So mm-hmm. they make me like I'm crazy, which I kind of am, but the reality is I want my iced coffee. Not even just um, other countries. I've I've talked about this before. When I went to Nashville for Weba a couple years ago, um, it was the middle of what, like July, I think they host it. And I asked for iced coffee and they're like, we don't have iced coffee. Like I can bring you some ice on the side. And I'm like, that's not the same thing. And how dare you not serve iced coffee in the middle of July? In Nashville, Tennessee, I was, uh, this was two years ago, and I'm still very salty about it. 
Because of course I did pour the ice into it, but it's not the same. I'm sorry. But anyone that knows anything about coffee or has worked at a coffee shop, iced coffee is not hot coffee with a couple ice cubes in it. It's, it's brewed completely differently. Exactly. And actually, I was a barista when mm-hmm. I was working in between my externships for my speech masters. Mm-hmm. So I actually had to pass tests and take things like milk chemistry from uh, Ceremony Coffee, which is probably something Massachusetts people don't know anything about because Ceremony Coffee is like D.C. located. Yeah. So I traveled to D.C. from Baltimore, took six classes, had to pass a four-hour test. So like it, it was a deal to be a barista. I mean, I went to Duncan's University, so... yeah i mean we take coffee very seriously okay that actually leaves us i see our appetizers coming so our first appetizer is how did you get into speech language um and then if you want to tack on how then that led to behavior analysis to be honest i was a criminal justice major who was going to be a family lawyer i always was interested in the divorce adoption foster care like process um, I know that's like really bizarre, but like I, it was just something that I I always thought that I would be really good at mediating. Side note: people's interests are never bizarre. People, we got all varieties <laughs> of people with all kinds of interests. But go on. Yes, yes. Um, and so uh, I was taking my classes, and I needed a job. And I was looking around and I was like hating all the jobs. And there was a nannying job, and they said it was a ten month old. And I was like, brilliant, done. And they, I get there and this beautiful boy with Down syndrome immediately holds his arms up and goes, me. <laughs> and I was like, that's it. Love at first sight. Like I needed him for four years. I did oh, all wow. the nice. therapies with him. I did OTPT speech with him and I couldn't choose for the longest time. And so I actually... Uh, I graduated a year earlier from GW and I, I did 21 credits for two semesters just to get my undergraduate speech done. And it was all because Aiden had changed my life, the way that he had progressed and the way that I had actually kind of sort of taught him like a, a functional first word, which was moo. <laughs> it was like a very cool moment for me because I knew he had childhood apraxia speech. And he wasn't talking for the longest time other than me, which was beautiful because <laughs> you know how I feel about consent and yes. assent. Yes. Um, and then so I wanted to actually look at a holistic approach with people with disabilities, mm-hmm. right, and pediatric disabilities. And I was thinking to myself, like, what could I do to make myself more well-rounded? And I fell into ABA that way because I know it's a science and I know it's a science of behavior. And I was thinking to myself, as an SLP, I was dealing with behaviors, but I wasn't dealing with them the right way. Mm -hmm. I have since become a neurodiversity affirming behavior analyst and SLP And I really love that I have like both perspectives because I can counsel Mm -hmm. both ways and collaborate both ways and and really see 
how to be also trauma-informed both ways as well. Yeah, no, and I think it's really important. I mean, not only like the collaboration piece, but also you yourself can collaborate <laughs> between your SLP and your and your BCBA credentials, like collaborate that way. But I think you can also like talk the talk and walk the walk when you're speaking to multiple professionals, um, which is important. I mean, I know in ABA, we talk about collaboration a lot and really um, working with everyone that's on our learners team. And some are all for it and do it. And those are my friends. Um, and some aren't. And uh, I prefer not to speak to those ones. <laughs> <laughs> And then same with SLPs, like some are for collaborating and some are for bashing ABA. Um, and here's the thing, my little side note, and I think anyone that knows me knows this, like I am all for bashing ABA. Um, there are a lot of terrible parts of it, but I bash it because I'm in it. Like I'm in the trenches working it and working to change it. Bashing something from the outside is pointless. You know, like all you're doing is turning off families um, from a scientifically proven method. And one of the only, I was going to say therapy, but we're not supposed to say that. One of the only teaching methods that is covered wholeheartedly by insurance for the most part, because an hour of speech is not going to cover all of the behaviors that are happening during bathing. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think it's awesome that you have, you have both. If I had the patience, maybe I would do something like that, but uh, I don't really want to go back to school. If I go back to school, I'd get like a doctorate in neuropsychology or something, but currently I don't have the patience for that either. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> You're getting your doctorate. What's, what's your doctorate going to be in? Clinical speech pathology. Nice. Nice. Yes. I think that'd be cool. Yeah. I'm loving it. Loving it. What's kind of like your plans with that? And they can change. Like no one's going to reference this podcast and like yell at you. <laughs> the university is very aware of what I want to do. Um, and that's why I love them so much because... Rocky Mountain University, I'm just going to plug them right now because they're probably the most affirming psychologically and emotionally and academically, the most affirming university that I've ever attended. I have to say that when I actually have a physical problem in the real world and I can't complete an assignment due to that problem, they are like, okay, what can we do? And they mm, jump in nice. and they're ready to help me. And they're ready to accommodate me. And they talk to me like a human, not a robot. Not someone that's just trying to be lazy or like get out of things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what I really love about um, Rocky Mountain is that they, they kind of want me to take my capstone project and turn things on its head. And one of the things that I'm turning on its head is the way that graduate students are being treated in the SLP world. Hmm. And there's a lot of trauma in the world in general. 60% of adults reaching the age of just 18 have trauma. Okay, this is like a, a fact, right? And think about all the trauma that we go through, the way that we're spoken to in clinicals, for example. And the way that you're just expected to show up in the world when you're getting this higher level education you know, it's very privileged, I know, but mm -hmm. but honestly, it, I've seen awful, awful things. 
happen to graduate students. Like I, I personally was told to put my anxiety in a box and leave it outside the clinic in one of my master's degrees. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's why I want to turn it on its head. So I'm using co-regulation techniques between the graduate student and their supervisor to see if distress levels through the subjective units of distress scale lowers over time. That's exciting. Yeah. And I want to give a shout out to Lauren Elder and Ashley Fiorelli because they have actually been mentoring me about trauma-informed ADA. Mm Mm-hmm. And I would not have known about the subjective unit of distress scales if they had not taught me that. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I came in already having a wealth of knowledge of trauma-informed ABA, and now I'm doing trauma-informed speech. Nice. Yeah. I don't think I have any follow-up questions. That was a good answer. Our second appetizer is coming out, and I wanted to ask, what's a typical day in the life of Carly look like? And how do you incorporate self-care in there? A typical day, I'll just give my Wednesday as an example, because I think that's actually my busiest day. Surprisingly enough, even though it's that busy, I incorporate Mm self-care. And I work as a speech pathologist in an ABA center for about four hours at a time, back-to-back clients for half an hour each, um, all of which are early intervention clients that are autistic. So it's like my happy place, by the way. I'm consistently collaborating with BCBAs. I'm consistently running around and singing and dancing like a fool. Um, I'm taking a course with Corinne Zamoose called The Melody Method. So I'm using a lot of music with my Gestalt language processors. So like drumming rhythms out that I find that they use Hmm. while they're singing. Or Mm -hmm. um, if they're singing a tune over and over again, like I will sing that gestalt in that tune. In that tune. Nice. Yes. And I use to like to pitch myself, I use a xylophone um, because we all know that gestalt language processors hate off pitch singing. Yes, I know that very well. (laughs) I am always off pitch. No, Rose, no singing. Like, okay, Sorry, bud. I happen to be a singer, so, but I try, I, my voice is not perfect, so I try, I try for them, and um, I have some AEC users as well, um, mm. so that's really exciting, because they just got their AECs instead of communication books, nice. um, and then I actually take a break, <laughs> I take a break, you. you know, like, I have um, an early intervention client that I go to because most of my work actually is in home. Mm. But um, I take a break and I hang out with my dogs on my screen and porch no matter what kind of weather it is Mm. because it brings me joy. Like just Mm -hmm. even watching them like play and just be their goofy selves Mm -hmm. because I have three rescue dogs Mm -hmm. and it's it's just constant chaos no matter what. You know, with three of them. Uh-huh. And they're all neurotic. What kind of dogs? We don't know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we mutt just, mixes. Yeah, they're, they're Heinz, you know, 59s or whatever you want to call them. The only one we actually do know, because the owner surrendered the dog with information, is mm. my middle dog, Ollie. And he's a Jack Russell Terrier Corgi. Mm-hmm. 
you think he'd be obnoxious, but he's like just so chill. He falls asleep mm. at five with his eyes open snoring. <laughs> but my self-care is really just like spending time outside mm-hmm. and taking that break and actually intentionally breathing, watching, looking at my environment, choose joy instead of thinking about the next thing mm-hmm. on my schedule because I know it's coming next. You know, I program my calendar to even like like tell me when to leave so that I can mm-hmm. intentionally spend my time like with myself being not like checking the clock yeah exactly exactly and then after that I have about four clients in home varying from half an hour to an hour and most of them are gestalt English processors as well um and then I end my day at four so it's pretty nice because I choose my hours Mm -hmm. and I don't often get caught in traffic I don't often rush home to like cook dinner. Mm -hmm. That's been really nice. And that's always been a part of my self-care routine because I just feel as though it's really important for me to like structure mealtimes and also to take that middle of the day and make sure that I'm mindful. That's really good. That's really good. That's one of my favorite parts of my job. I mean, obviously there's like the inherent motivation of like working with learners and working with families and caregivers and of course that actually drives me but like the side effect positive the positive side effect if I can use that phrase um is scheduling my own time I do a lot of like front loading my week um so like one if there's cancellations then maybe later in the week um I can plug them in Uh, But usually it works out where if I front load just right and I've seen who I need to see, my Fridays are like open. Um, So that's really nice. And then this week, I had a dentist appointment this morning, but that's like it. I had like a parent call. I had a a filling first thing in the morning and then a parent call. um, And then I played video games for like the last couple hours before. before recording with you love that we just got a switch and I'm the type of person that will um, hyper fixate on things and so prior to this I was reading a lot and I was like you know through this entire series and then my husband got a switch and now instead of the books being my personality now the switch is my personality so (laughs) (laughs) but my friends that I that also read the series uh the book series are like you gotta split your time or something because you're falling behind and I'm like I know but now I'm playing this cool game (laughs) (laughs) but yeah being able to like have that time is is really important I think a lot of us just like go 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 you know like 40 hour work weeks and then above and beyond past that you know maybe 40 30 to 40 billable and then who knows what you're doing outside of that so um I am not like that. <laughs> I do go, go, go doing a bunch of other stuff. But like I said, today I spent a couple hours playing video games and probably once we're done and I've eaten dinner, I'll go right back to playing video games. <laughs> Love that for you. All right, let's jump into our palate cleanser course. So you were saying that you do a lot of singing with your learners. Um, and I know, since I know you personally, I know that you're into like musicals. What would you say your favorite musical is? 
So this is really funny because my capstone advisor asked me this too. It was very telling of who I am and it's cabaret. And I find it a fascinating story just because the MC is slowly showing the demise of Germany Hmm. to the Nazis, but is also very sexual and like tantalizing and comedic at the same time. So it's like, it's just a very interesting dynamic. It's like you because you're a sexy German. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, what I'm saying is that um, I am very into like the the dramatic, dark, yeah. um, messed up, kind of stuff like my favorite mm. series right now is white lotus mm. which mm-hmm. is so messed up it's just like messed up people <laughs> doing messed up things <laughs> doing messed up things to mess up their lives even more and uh no cabaret is my favorite because and the music is so well done and um mm. i've been in it oh nice it's kind of my my goal to be the first female mc in a like an actual production of cabaret because that Mm. hasn't been done before flipping the gender roles yeah so interesting um, yeah yeah so i told this to my capstone advisor and she's like mine's the lion king (laughs) and i'm like i think i've revealed a little too much about myself (laughs) (laughs) that's funny the only thing I know about Cabaret is from Schitt's Creek, so <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. So everything you're saying, I'm, ba- I'm like, that's who I'm picturing is yeah. <laughs> the people from Schitt's Creek. So um, yeah, so so you know a little bit because Stevie is Sally Bowles and Patrick, and Patrick is the MC you can kind of get an idea of what's going on and maybe this time is is her ballad mm-hmm. that really changes her tune about her relationships because she's just been going from man to man to man and living her life just carefree mm-hmm. and when stevie does it oh my gosh it's beautiful um but it's her ballad saying like like he, she's saying he'll stay, but really she's hoping she'll stay. Mm, okay, nice. Maybe I'll I'll find it. I'm sure there's a movie, right? Yes, the movie doesn't have all the music in it, as far as I can remember, and it's got like a lot of detail. It's pretty long, but the acting is superb. It's cool to have like a passion outside of the field um, that you get into and you like participate in like auditioning and like, you know, playing. Yeah, I have an audition coming up this Saturday. Ooh, good luck. Thank you. All right. I see our waiter bringing our entrees. So what is something that you wish you could have told yourself when you were just getting started? So I initially worked in schools and we were required to submit lesson plans ahead of time to our principals, vice principals, like administration and like anybody higher than you. So like I was a clinical fellow at the time. So like my advisor Um, and it was excruciating. I wanted to do child-led play from the beginning and I, I really should have advocated for myself 
I could have easily, quote unquote, lesson planned a child-led session, kind of like Alexandria Zakos does, right? Mm -hmm. I could have said I could bring two new items and one familiar item, right? I I, I could have Mm -hmm. gone that route and said, we're going to play in XYZ, not way, because that's not how we play with autistic children, right? Mm -hmm. We let them play the way that they want to play. They want to play, yeah. Right? Yeah. We we let them do their thing. Yeah, following their lead. Yeah, we join their world. And it's beautiful because they see detail and authenticity and things that we don't see. And so I wish that I had kind of joined their world a little sooner. And I loved my first clients. I will never forget them. Never forget them. And I still wish that I didn't have to make stupid turkeys at Thanksgiving. But that's what Thanksgiving's all about. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Not colonization <laughs> or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. We won't open up that can right now. <laughs> no, 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 no. But like just the themes that we have yeah. to do are are so inane. I'm not bashing lesson planning. I just don't think it's right for our uh, autistic learners. Yeah. Well, it's like you can have a plan, but also like you need to be flexible enough to throw it out the window when the learner's like, I don't want anything to do with that. I was trained to become a teacher. um, And so I'm very familiar with lesson planning and curriculum building and backwards design and all of that stuff. And it's, it's great to have a plan, but like, don't push it. Don't force it when the learner's like, you know what? I want to go outside because there a ton of learning can still happen outside, but it's not the sitting at the table and drawing turkeys or whatever yeah. that maybe you had. And I think a lot of times when we make a plan, we get lost when it doesn't go according to plan. Uh, I talk about this with my RBTs a lot that I'm like, yeah, like make a plan, like have some kind of idea of what you want to accomplish during session, but then make up a backup plan or make up contingencies for yourself of like, okay, well, if he doesn't want to do sand today, then, you know, let's do Play-Doh or something, you know, whatever. You know, the way that my supervisor taught me to do NET was actually beautiful. So she was like, listen, he has preferred items. So we're going to take these preferred items and we're going to see how many goals we can make out of it. I had to think a little bit more when I was first becoming a BCBA and be like, oh, I can make pretty much six goals out of one preferred item. Yeah. That's one of my favorite like trainings with staff or new people of like, okay, here's one item um, what can you do with it? Like, how can you expand this one item? And it's like typical stuff that's at the house, you know, and making you be like really creative and come up with plans. Cause the more you kind of practice it, the more honed that skill becomes. And then it's second nature. Cause I didn't really have that when I got started, I was going to be a high school teacher. So like playing with kids was not, <laughs> not high on my uh, resume. But the more I practiced it, the more that it's like, you know, I can kind of walk into a room and come up with like 50 different ideas with all the things that are inside that room. 
So practicing that is super important for, for everybody. And even BCBAs, you know, you should still be practicing that because then you can better model it for your staff and then they can kind of grow too. Yeah, I, it's, it's really bizarre because now I come up with ways to target phonemes just on the fly. <laughs> you know, that's how, how much I've honed this skill. You know, and for people who don't know what phonemes are, that they're the, the sounds that we're working on in speech. You know, like pop the pig is like one of the, the games that like everybody knows about, right? In case they don't, what is pop the pig? Pop the Pig is a horrifyingly wonderful game. And what it what you do is there's co- like color-coded hamburgers and they all have numbers on them. And you have to put the hamburger in the pig's mouth and then pump his little chef hat that many times. He gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then eventually at some point, a variable ratio, right? He pops his like jacket and his like belt buckle like pops open right exactly so I can come up with especially for a kid with childhood praxis of speech like eat in you know like those really hard um vowel sounds Mm. become really easy to do with like pop the pig or if they're doing cbc pop easy that's so easy you know, if I'm going to be practicing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really cool to see how far I've come because I've gone from making turkeys with an OT in a preschool co-tree classroom to kind of showing up with a bag of tricks and like running with it. Yeah. It's always fun to like look back on like where you were how far you've come and now like looking towards the future our second entree is here so if you had no barriers or constraints what would your dream project be so I'm kind of living it because I am very privileged to have gotten into Rocky Mountain University and be flipping what I think is something pretty cool on its head by treating graduate students better and disseminating this information about trauma within graduate students, distress within graduate students, coagulation that we're going to be using. Hopefully it goes well um, because I'm only in the literature review stage. Um, But honestly, I think the best, like most ideal scenario would be for me to be at universities disseminating this information, Mm -hmm. you know, going from place to place consulting and or being a clinical supervisor mm-hmm. and teaching them to be trauma assumed, right? Which means that we're not just informed, meaning that we have the knowledge that trauma exists. Assumed right. meaning that everybody might have trauma and we, we right. treat everybody that way, right? So I would love to go back to my alma maters, mm-hmm. start there and see what happens. Yeah, I think that's really important. It was uh, Dr. Danielle Beal, who was on very early, I want to say like episode four, and she really talked about kind of like beyond the trauma informed, and now broaching into like the trauma assumed. 
And, and it's a hot topic. Um, I think a lot of people are like, well, why would you assume if they don't, if they don't have any trauma, but it's like, there's really no harm in like using the same practices uh, with everyone that you would use with someone that, you know, has experienced trauma. And like you said, 60% mm-hmm. uh, of people before they reach 18 have experienced trauma and there's big T trauma, little T trauma. And it's like, you know, if you're just kind and you treat people like humans, um, what, you know, like what's the harm in that? I don't really, I don't really understand why there's so much like pushback on it, but I think that's really exciting. And I think catching students, you know, like working at a university and like catching students early and talking to them and teaching them that way, teaching them by being trauma assumed, like yourself, how you teach them, and then teaching them how to also promote trauma assumed, compassionate care, neurodiversity affirming care, you know, all of all of the different like labels that we can throw on, I think will further multiple fields, you know, further speech, uh, you know, SLP and behavior analysis and just te- the teaching world. So that would be really exciting. I think more I think there's a few professors out there now or people that have gotten their doctorates and now are professors or they're applying to become professors that I'm really excited about. So it would be pretty sweet if we can continue to move in that direction. Definitely. And just so you know, uh, little T trauma and big T trauma is something that we don't use anymore because Ah, we don't want to like necessarily say that little t trauma is any different than big t trauma because Mm. both can feel just as real like the responses are just as big right right Right. that's a good uh distinguishing factor because yeah like the body is going to react and have that kind of like visceral response for a lot of a lot of them regardless um and it kind of like settles in the body so it's like, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like on on a positive side. Okay, so I did just read recently on a positive side, but kind of funny how the brain works is that people, when they are reading or watching a movie where the characters are falling in love, your brain processes it like you are falling in love too. Like it releases the same hormones and everything. Uh and so, like, when you're watching something and you're getting really into it and you're like, why? Like, these aren't even real people. It's like, no, because your brain is literally processing like it's a real thing. So, you know, you put that on top of the flip side of, like, trauma. It's like, yeah, your body's going to process it, you know, the same way. Yeah, thanks for that that correction. And I learned from the best, like, um, Rachel Trimble is somebody that I actually went to see at ASHA. And she did a course on trauma-informed supervision. Oh, nice. And yeah. so she does that a little differently than I do. She and I are, are very much on the same page about certain techniques and um, styles and ways to go about it. Um, she is just amazing. Um, she is the PTSD SLP. We can maybe link her in the show notes, too. She did a wonderful, wonderful talk um, first about introduction to trauma-informed like SLP work, and then I went to the master class about trauma-informed supervision. 
she is a great person to contact if you're ever interested for the speech side about Mm -hmm. coming to talk. Thank you for that recommendation. It's always great to have, you know, like new resources and new people to reach out to. Very sweet. And speaking of sweet things, our dessert is coming out now. We have two desserts, but the first one is what is an insult that you've received that you're actually proud of? This one's good because I still get a little chuckle from it. So I had a coworker and I love her dearly. She's like a sister to me. Okay. So like no shade to her. However, she told me that if I kept practicing in my hippy dippy neurodiversity affirming trauma assumed ways that insurance would never cover it. And I was never denied by TRICARE. Never. Not once. (laughs) Not once. I had co-regulation in the language. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And they never denied a single one of my treatment plans. Yeah. That's funny though. Yeah, hippie dippy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I love using all hippie dippy woo-woo. Like <laughs> I uh I obviously no one report me. I am very ethical. I use, you know, just behavior analysis. But but if you ever are on telehealth or Zoom or anything with me behind me is an entire case full of crystals and and they are there for me this is for me it's my space but obviously parents can see that and I have a parent that is I will ask about it sometimes you know and so in my pairing with a parent we might talk about that because as I say and I'll continue to say the first 15 minutes are for pairing whether you're building rapport with a caregiver building rapport with another professional building rapport with a client because in those 15 minutes it doesn't cut off at 15 minutes and now you move on to a different topic tons and tons of stuff come out during that that then you use so if a caregiver is like oh yeah I see you have crystals my niece is really into crystals and she made a anti-anxiety spell jar for my son who is my client my learner and we talk about that, like, oh, what was in it? You know, I'm curious. Oh, what do you think that's going to do? Oh, why anti-anxiety? Like, what's going on? Then she tells me a bunch of behaviors and barriers that they're having. Guess what? That's the next 45 minutes of my appointment because I'm going to talk about, you know, yes, I love spell jars. I love crystals. I love all of that. But now I'm going to use that to bridge into like, okay, well, let's actually work on some of those barriers in a scientific behavior analysis way. But um, you can do both, people. I found it hilarious because my boss always backs me up, always backs Mm -hmm. me up. You know, I will be on a case and she looks at my treatment plans and scours over them, okay, to make sure that they're going to be approved by TRICARE because the last Mm -hmm. thing that she needs is for them to be Sent back a billion and a half times. Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially TRICARE, but yeah. Oh, TRICARE is auditing all the time. All the time. So, And that's most of my cases, by the way. We're going to keep it sweet because we are in our dessert. So our final dessert is what is your favorite thing about what you do? Um, I have to go back to how I get to literally act a fool all the time, all day, every day to get my learners to 
do what they need to do in the real world to communicate, to build that consent and assent, to to get their wants and needs met, you know? Um, and I'm only a little blip on the radar. Mm-hmm. And I realize that, but like in those moments where it's just us and I actually get a no from them, I am ecstatic, <laughs> ecstatic. Mm-hmm. Like I had a, I, I just had a session that we're getting an AAC for this girl, but she finally told me no on our communication book. And mm-hmm. I nearly cried. Aww. I nearly cried because I was like, she needs this. She yeah. needs this bad because she's so sweet and she's Aww. so unfortunately like been through so many compliance-based therapies that she's yeah. never, no. And I finally pushed her buttons enough that she told <laughs> me no. Yeah. And it was great. And I loved it. And, you know, I was just acting myself and, and foolish Right, right, like right. bouncing the balloon on my head, and then bouncing the balloon on her head, and then bouncing the balloon on her leg, and then bouncing the balloon on my leg, and she was like, "No, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah." Oh my gosh, yes, compliance. I'm trying to decide if I want to pull out the soapbox. <laughs> we'll, pull out, we'll pull out the the mini soapbox, but yes, like compliance based programming breeds. I'm screaming over here. <laughs> Breeds <laughs> our kids being assaulted. Like there's direct correlation. I there's been so much research like finally coming out. So stop. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure everyone listening to my podcast is not doing that. So um thank you for everyone that's not doing that. Please tell a friend who tells a friend, tell three friends, make it a pyramid scheme, please. <laughs> anything but yeah I love I love a good manning for cessation program and I don't just mean all done like sure great like I do use all done it's a good one um and it's so widely used in schools but I want the don't touch me I want the like no thank you or no or stop or let me go and I work on all of those and they are really funny to work on um because we do it in in like a play, you know, playful way. Um, I love acting a fool. I have one client that <laughs> the RBTs are always like, he only lets you do like this, you know, like certain stuff and like looks for it. Not like, oh, he's tolerating me doing like weird stuff. Um, but he'll just be like walking by and I'll like fluff his hair. And then he'll be like, oh, I kind of liked that. And like come back and like we work on because he's a JLP. So like we'll work on um, JLP is Gestalt Language Processor if you didn't pick that up. Um, So we'll work on like, you know, expanding his uh, his like manding with that. Or he'll be walking by and I'll just squeeze his head or squeeze his arm. And he's like, oh, I like that. But if anyone else does it, he's just like, no, I don't want to do that with you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but he has he has the communication now to be like I know like don't touch me if if he doesn't want them to do it but they're like just you like when you come for supervision we get a bunch of stuff out of them and I was like I will model it for you and you know you can try different things (laughs) (laughs) love that we really do have the best jobs okay we're at our nightcap 
Is there anything uh, that I should have asked you and I didn't or anything that you want to mention before we wrap up? I think that you did a wonderful job. The only thing that I would definitely plug because we talked about it so much is Alexandria Zakos and her Gestalt Language Processing course. I think that it's really important that not just SLPs take it, but BCBAs take it as well. Because well, let's be real, BCBAs are mostly working with autistic clients. Yeah. Right. So meaningfulspeech.com, it seems very daunting because it's a lot of modules, but it's very, very, very worth mm-hmm. going through the modules no matter how slow you do it. And you have a lifetime access and you also get all of their updates too, because they update like maybe every couple months. I have also taken it. It is a really good course. There are some pieces that are that are geared. I took like the the parent and the professional, you know, the other professional one. And there are some pieces that assessment and like data stuff um, that are for SLPs. Um, but I'm like, that's that's fine. I I don't need to know. I don't need to like worry about that. Um, but it, yeah, the rest of it's pretty easy to follow, and it's really important. I mean, we could talk about JLP for. <laughs> a while but yeah. it's really important because my learner who is seven I was the first one to ever like tell the family or anyone and he's been in speech since like two um and ABA since well maybe three and when I told mom she was just like what and I had her like look it up and everything and she's like oh my god this is him and now Carly now he is talking and singing nonstop. Like mom's like, I know this is what I wish for. It's slightly too much sometimes, but <laughs> she's like, I I asked for this and he is singing nonstop. Like any second that he's not like occupied doing, you know, something that he has to use his, you know, his vocal communication for, he's just singing. Mom loves Taylor Swift. He knows all of the Taylor Swift songs. He's really into um sound of music right now like he's just singing up a storm and mom's just like wow I had no idea and I was like I'm sorry you like no one told you this before but here we are we are moving forward yeah I'm usually the first person to kind of like introduce it to people I get pushback from schools but usually from parents I don't get pushback at all whatsoever you know what I mean they're like oh gosh yeah that makes sense Mm-hmm. You know, and then we go forward. I just wish school, I, like, that's where he's doing the majority of his, like, quote unquote, communicating. Like, I know, I know, I know. And and it's, it's like, it's unfortunately the SLPs, and I'll just like say this straight up. The SLPs in schools have too many people on their caseloads and they have no money for CEUs. So yeah. no, they cannot take the meaningful speech course because honestly, it's too expensive for them. Yeah. Right. Unless the unless the district is going to band together and say we're all taking this course because then they get a group discount. Right. They have sales. They have sales. <laughs> like and and I know I I definitely know there that SLPs, OTs, PTs, BCBAs, teachers, like all yeah. of them, their caseloads, their their classrooms are way too big. Oh yeah. But I also, I have a really hard time always falling back on like the short staffness of all of our fields 
because if we continue to let that be the reason why we're not progressing forward, then we'll just never progress forward, you know? Oh, yeah. I bet if all of those SLPs banded together and went to their district and said, purchase this, then they would instead of like, oh, let's wait for the district to do that. They're not going to. But if you make a fuss, especially, especially as a white person, make that fuss because you have more privilege and more visibility and security to make that fuss. So then everyone can get, you know, like what they need. I'm going to put the soapbox away. (laughs) No, no, no. I get it. I get it. It's and I I go to my governing board consistently with like letters because I'm saying yes. like it's it's ridiculous that like some of these SLPs have a hundred people on their caseloads and some of them so have gross. like rare genetic disorders that are paired with an autistic client that are paired with the person with Down syndrome like how do you function with three different disabilities in one room working on on six different goals yeah. Right. It doesn't make sense without the resources and like the further right. education for it. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and like another thing that really makes me angry is that like states can sometimes have caseload caps. The states can do something and some have. But for the most part, like I know I know SLPs that have 100 people on their caseload and that's that's not OK. Oh, it's wild. It's wild. Okay, where can listeners find find you and find more about what you're doing? So I will say that my page is uh, a mix of everything. It's a mix of right now me dancing and singing, but uh, I do advocate um, for neurodiversity affirming care on C-D-B-E-R-E-Z-N-A-Y Berezne on Instagram. And uh, you can just have fun with me over there. I'd love for you to pop over and have fun with me. (laughs) Love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing a bite with us. Um, Everyone, please follow Carly on Instagram, uh, which will be linked in the show notes and on my website. As always, you can find me on Instagram at rosieeatsbx or my website, rosiebx.com. If you enjoyed the show, please help my dissemination efforts by leaving a rating review so others can find it. And until our next meal, bye. bye.